everyone, and welcome to another episode of What's Up, Woody, the podcast where it's time to have a real conversation. My name is Woody Woodbeck, your host, and my guest today is a friend of mine who I've known for a very long time, Chris Donahue. You know, I want to usually, Chris, I go into about like, oh, they do this and they do that, but you literally do every letter of the alphabet comes after your name. Oh, cool. I love that. <laughs> like, you have so many different titles. So you have a PhD, you're a sex therapist. What What do all of the other things stand for? Like, what does LCSW stand for? What does CST? Like, yeah. I feel like I'm saying I should, I just don't want to fuck up your pronouns. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's, there's a few more. So, yeah, so... Professionally, I go by Dr. Chris Donahue, uh, did yeah. two doctoral programs, did a doctoral program in clinical psych, also one in human sexuality and sex therapy. And then the LCSW is my master's as a clinical mental health therapist. And then the CST is a certified sex therapist, which uh, internationally, there's probably only about 500 of us in the entire world that are actually certified to do work within sex. That is so wild to me, because first of all, that made my arm hair stand up with the amount of studying you had to do i know i had two degrees but they were both like film and tv and journalism so you know in, uh, uh educated enough but you literally have have it all uh, i i love as, education as as yeah love education yeah. i it's the strangest thing because early in my life you know back in like high school and early colleges i went i went to nyu and i spent so much of my youth really focused on socialization. <laughs> I did not do good in school. I was not a good student, um, was in the bar scene, in the New York City club scene, um, really powerfully, again, back in high school in New York City. And that's kind of where, and we can you know get to this, I guess, later. That's where I really identified my uh, identity within sex and gender and all of that. But uh, coming out of that world is when I really found academia and had this awakening where I was like, oh my God, I'm smart. I, I actually uh, do enjoy school. You know, when you start to study things you actually enjoy. And uh, I'm actually probably seeking more education soon. So never stops. It, I have the same thought process because I was not a great student in high school and the grades lower than that. I, I was a really fat kid. So like I got made fun of a lot. And I think that that torment really... Um, ruined a lot of my schooling experience but at the same time like I had a great time because I had so many friends and like people as much as I was made fun of for every person I made fun of me I also had like a friend who like loved me solidly so I, I had that solid foundation thankfully but I just didn't do well with the schooling but when I went away to school and realized one I was learning about shit I wanted to learn about which was amazing and I started to become passionate about the stuff I wanted to learn about but two also that I was paying for <laughs> oh yeah so, yeah that last uh, one will really make you take something a lot more seriously 100 100 but also would you say uh you were then later in safer social environments that allowed you to have more confidence and to really immerse yourself in what was happening around you unlike in your early years oh probably probably okay. you know i think I, I have a very unique like coming out which really came into my own with my weight loss and everything kind of coincided like right around the same time. So I definitely feel like I, I was a late bloomer. And I used to say like in my late twenties, early thirties, that I was always, I always felt like I was playing catch up, right? Like everything that everyone did in their teen years, I didn't do. I didn't even, I hit puberty super late because I was overweight. It stunted my growth. 
So I didn't, my voice didn't drop until I was like 18. I didn't even have body hair until I was 17, 18. Like, so I always felt that, and I didn't lose my virginity and we can get to that too, but I didn't even lose my virginity until I was like 24, 25. So everything I felt of what the people around me were doing, right. It just came later. Um, So I always felt like I was playing catch up. Um, you know, obviously you tackle a lot of really great everyday issues and I want to get to all of that, but I do want to, I would do want to get to know you a little bit more. Um, you know, these, you're part of my gay pride series. And I want to talk to you a little bit about your sexuality and, and how you would describe that. And is, if there is a version of coming out or whatever that looks like for you, please, I would love to, to love to hear from you. Yeah, it, it, it's a very uh, complicated topic, further complicated by the sure. fact that because of the kind of work I do both uh, uh, within psychology, but also as a sex therapist, and sadly further, actually sadly or, or happily further complicates all that. And my second book, Rebel Love, I, I kind of uh, start the book off by by talking a little bit about myself in a way that I didn't do in my first book or that, you know, the funny thing about being a therapist is you, you are trained to uh, make everything about everyone else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because your entire career, 30 plus hours a week is literally you not existing as a total full person and you are exclusively focusing on other people's stuff. So it's interesting when I get to like what you're doing with me right now, actually take up some space and talk about myself. But you know, high school was comparable to what you went through, but very, very, very distinct at the same time, just in that um, I, I, I never really identified with anyone that was around me. Um, and one of the things I'm still kind of struggling with as an adult is that when I'm with gay people, I feel my straightness. When I'm with straight people, I feel my gayness. And I never really feel like I fully exist or belong in either community. And that's where, for me, the word queer best explains my sexual identity. Um, in academia, queerness isn't about being gay. It's about non-normativity. It's about not fulfilling straightness or gayness, but living in this like third space. And it's kind of like a really beautiful place where I think a lot of uh, trans, gender fluid, bisexual, pansexual people really find who they are. Um, and I think that's kind of been my journey. I. I spend high school and college dating and having sex with both men and women. And I think what happened is later in my life, when I started hanging out with more gay men, there was never attention paid to like, Hey, have you tried being with a woman any time recently? Have you thought about that aspect of yourself? And we can kind of reduce ourselves down all that to say, and this is where I bring in like my work as a sex therapist. I tell everyone, however you identify in terms of sexuality um, is not your true sexuality. You know, and I mean that beyond gayness and straightness. I mean that in terms of I'm a top, I'm a bottom. No, you're not. Those are habits. Those are things that you are most comfortable with. Those are patterns you have fallen into. Those are identities that you've developed based on body shame and trauma around your penis size, around your masculinity. All of our sexualities are buried under um, our gender training, um, our homophobia, our femphobia, our sex phobia, our body phobia, afraid of being called a sex addict. There's so much work to do to really get to our core authentic sexuality. And that's kind of what I do clinically, but also what I've tried to do as a person. So to answer your question, queerness feels the best to me. Um, I, I like to try to explore my uh, sexuality with all genders and body shapes and sizes. And I think it'd be something that would serve a lot of people. There's a lot of freedom on the other side of that. 
What 100%. I, I think that, you know, I think the, the reason that there's uh, such sensitivity around it is just because and you could probably agree that it's just not education uh, right. for the most part about different things for different types of people. You know, I think for a long time, I always would say, like, when I lost my virginity, I like, I became a hoe. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, uh, I, I, you were uh, like, I, I like this. That was good. I want I, more. And I, yeah. And that was That's it. Good. And I, That's and good. truthfully, I remember saying after the first time I had sex, like, what the fuck was I waiting for? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> wow, this, it was like, it was just changed my life. And from there on out, I just explored every avenue of that. I was also very lucky as a, as a gay man where I lived in a city like San Francisco. I had just moved there. I had lost a ton of weight. I had lost about 140 pounds after gastric bypass right moving there. So I had this whole new level of confidence <laughs> um, that went along with losing virginity and living in San Francisco and knowing nothing really about sex. You know, like there was, there, I didn't know, I, there wasn't educated on it. I think the only thing I ever watched of sex on was like Queer as Folk. You know, like that was really, oh, yeah. that was really, that was all I really knew. So I had my gay dads there, as I called them, who became my roommates. And they, one of them worked for Folsom Street Fair. And, you know, one of them was a guy who enjoyed, you know, being fisted and, and things that I didn't know anything about. So I definitely was very lucky that my sexual awakening, so to speak, was around people who had experienced things that I could then take in and learn. Yeah. And, and it sounds like based on your early beginnings where you felt so kind of shamed and marginalized, it probably, yeah, like you said, it felt really good to be part of a community that kind of accepted you and reflected back your worth and value, which I'm so thankful to see now exists for uh, the younger individuals on a wider scale. Because I think back to my time in grade school and high school, and I think the only gay representation we had was Will and Grace. And I didn't identify or relate to that either. That just wasn't me or my world. Right. Um, and now there's just such a wealth of gender expressions and sexualities and things have become so sex positive, right? Like there is a time, you know, cause I think about forecasting where we are sexually and where we're going based on what clients are coming in and asking. I've been doing therapy for almost 20 years. So there was a time when people were talking about more basic things. Now, like the younger people straight, especially are talking more about like anal and more extreme things. So that's a sign that sex positivity is, is working and it's happening because people are pushing on their limits. But let me tell you, we still have so much work to do. <laughs> like oh, I, There are yeah. a few basic things that I still see my patients coming in struggling with. And um you know, because it's one of those things where like, we are so obsessed with sex, um, but yet we are still so afraid of it. Right. And that's some of like the work that I do is getting people more comfortable asking for what they want, um, being who they want to be. And pull me back if I'm like getting off topics, I tend to do no, that. No, please. I'm actually please. the conference again. Um, <laughs> as soon as people get into a primary relationship, and the importance of that relationship and that person uh, really raises people start backing off of pushing on boundaries and kind of fall back into shrunk down patterns and habits and their sexual exploration kind of stops. Um, 
So, so much work to do that kind of keeps me going. But to answer your question, <laughs> which I got very far away from about my own sexual experience, um, you know, back in my teenage years, I was running around with a really queer crowd. We didn't have the word back then. There were people that were trans identified. We didn't have the word trans back then in 1996 when I graduated high school. Don't remember what we called people that didn't identify it with either gender per se or the other gender. Um, but pivotal moment. Uh, I was in high school and I was dating this girl named Heather Kelly and we were at Heather Kelly's house party and she was like the coolest girl in town and she had just moved to locally and me and her are making out. We're all drinking and probably doing drugs because that's what we did back then. And I would never forget her turning to me and she said, make out with my friend Josh. And there I'd made out with her best friend in front of her. And being around people like that was the most healing and sexually liberating thing. Because again, back then, we didn't have support around non-hetero identities. And so that community saved me because I somehow found the most sex positive crowd at a time when that kind of stuff did not exist. And then much like your San Francisco journey, when I moved up to New York and I was living on the Lower East Side of Manhattan in East Village, it saved me. I don't know who I'd be or where I'd be if I wasn't around such radical, radically thinking, radically living, sex-positive queer people. Community is such a saving grace. So, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I appreciate all of that because I am, I am definitely, I, as I hope I'm using the terminology correctly, definitely sex-positive. I think that... Um, we should talk about it more. We should do Please, more of it. We should I do more exploring of it. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I think that, um, I don't see anything wrong with talking about it. You know, I remember, and you could, you could probably chime in a little bit on this. When I went, I, I spent two months in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And obviously, you know, a, a very, uh, sexualized, uh, city, uh, mm -hmm. in many different ways. Um, and I remember, coming back to the states and i made a joke at like a dinner and i was like it was the most amazing experience to be able to like go to a bar get a beer and walk down a flight of stairs and get a blowjob and i remember like the shock and awe on people's faces and <laughs> that I was you like, both said that and did that yeah, huh? correct yeah. and like yeah. right exactly and i could not i didn't understand it because i was like what well, that was such a liberating feeling for me not, and to just be like it be a Tuesday night and like be able to do that and not give a fuck. But why do you think there is such a and and um, I know that you've talked a lot about it and you've worked with Amber Rose who talks a ton about yes. you know, owning that, yeah, like owning <laughs> owning her sluttiness and all of yes. that. But yes. I, I, what? Why do you think it is that it is? It's a so few threads. Frowned upon. Yeah, it's a few upon. threads. Because I think it depends at times on the person's other identities who is talking about sex. And I think that's what was so interesting about Amber. Uh, her being a woman, her being a woman of color, uh, her being a woman and a woman of color talking about sex, she is already uh, occupying a lot of marginalized identities. So it's even more like threatening because we're always up against so many different forces when we're trying to be ourselves. 
And that's why I am always so impressed with people that just live so fully themselves. Like people that are gender queer and gender fluid, people that are trans, like, oh my God, like that's what I, that's what authenticity looks like. Like that is someone who's saying who I am means more to me than what people want from me and all the different forces that are trying to oppress me. And that always blows me away. If you're like white cis hetero, you have no idea what authenticity means. Cause there's no, there's no challenge. You just kind of fall into those privileges. But I think it really depends. There's this concept called like respectability politics, which is this idea that like, if you're a parent, you can't be sexual. If you're a doctor, a lawyer, a therapist, or a teacher, you can't have a sexuality. So some of those people are up against that. We body shame. Like I always laugh about how if I'm at Whole Foods and I bump my elbow, I can very loudly be like, oh, I hit my elbow. But if I bump my penis on something, it's going to shock everyone. If I say, oh man, I just bumped my penis. So like, there's all these layers. Where does it all come from? A, a lot of it comes back from religion. It comes from misogyny and sexism. It comes from just fear of like liberated individuals. It's really hard to pinpoint exactly where it comes from, but it's supported still by so many forces. I was lecturing at UCLA and the students that were there in the master's program about to graduate as therapists. I don't remember what I said, but it led to one of them saying, we were told by our teacher or our professor that we can't as therapists be on Tinder. I'm sorry, what? As a therapist, it's inappropriate or unacceptable to also be a healthy human in the world who's single and wants to date or to be on Grindr and wants to have sex? Fuck right. that. That is right. the problem in action. In fact, therapists should more openly be doing those things to normalize the acceptability of those things. Please have sex. I prescribe to my patients sex sometimes. And that blows people's minds when I say that on talk shows. I don't remember which one I was on, but I said that and they were like blown away. And I was like, yeah, for people that have self-esteem issues and body esteem issues, I say to them things like have more sex, have more experiences with safe partners that desire your body because our self-esteem, our sexual esteem, our body esteem is reflected back to us. It is not an inside job. It barely is inside. So I'll say to them, have sex with people that show you the worth of your body. I say to them, watch porn that mimics the body you have. So you can, again, on screen, see your body wanted and desired, right? So we have to like right. take advantage of all these different forces. And that's how we push back on all this sex shame, sex negativity. And I tell everyone that, stop clicking on those white gym bodied guys on the social media. Stop watching big dicked gym bodied porn. That is not the yeah. norm. That's not you. That's not how the world operates. And so, I think for me, the more meaningful question is not like, why are we so sex negative? It's how do we maintain that? And how do we eliminate that so we can all have freedom? And I think porn is awesome, but I also think porn is misused and can be the problem as can social media based on what you're following and what you're normalizing. If, if somebody asks you in a nutshell, what do you think are the biggest ways, I guess I'm asking you, yeah. what do you think are the biggest ways that you're able to have breakthrough with people? How would you describe that? Breakthrough in terms of like what, what part? And, and whatever, let's say what, what, when you get picked up by a new client or, you know, a new client and, and they help you, they come to you with a problem. Like what ways, what ways have you found in your experience? Have you been able to have breakthrough? Um, relationships, sex-wise, like where, where, how would you rank them? And like, what, what are the most common things do you think? 
Yeah. So, uh, okay. So yes, I practice general psychology. So I get, you know, the more generalized stuff, but if I'm kind of focusing in on my specialization, marital therapy, relationships, sex, uh, sex therapy, all that stuff, I would say the core things that come in that I think are most important and needing the most work culturally are around erectile disappointments, which I would love to talk about, which most people call erectile dysfunctions. I call them disappointments because they're most of the time not disorders. They're actually just what a healthy penis will do sometimes. Um, Sex addiction, which is not a real thing and is still being utilized and there's still clinics treating it, even though it's been rejected by every psychological body and a diagnosis for it doesn't exist universally. And I would say in addition to that, shame, shame around people's body, their gender, their sexual interests. And those are three things that break my heart because there are three things that shame healthy individuals. They are three different, you know, diagnoses or issues out in the world that if we just had a better relationship to sexuality wouldn't even exist. You know, I tell all penis owners every decade of life, expect for a healthy penis to have another 10% chance of disappointments when you're trying to use your erection, meaning when you're in your 30s. 30% of the time expected to not get hard, stay hard and do what you want it to do. When you're in your forties, 40% of the time, 50, 50% of the time, that's not a disorder. And the more we're calling it that, and we're putting these Viagra commercials on television, we're reinforcing the anxiety, which is part of the problem in the first place, when sex doesn't require erections. And when you lose your erection, use your fingers, use your tongue, use, use toys, stay in the game. Sex is about pleasure, you know? So like, that's something I want us to get rid of. Sex addiction, where people that are masturbating because they're anxious or multiple times a day because it feels good or because they have the time, or people that are sexually exploring like you in San Francisco, where you weren't because of body shaming and other fucked up norms, you weren't allowed to feel confident in the body you had. So later in life, you're taking advantage of access and your confidence. Some people would want to call that sex addiction, and it's not. Um, So it's like all these different forces. So the breakthroughs, ready for this one, often yeah. comes through me because of the power I'm given with my, all those letters after my name. When I say mm-hmm. things like, you're actually fine. There's actually yeah. nothing wrong. You're allowed to masturbate a lot. You're allowed to have your penis disappoint you sometimes. Stop having sex with people that shame that, enjoy sexuality, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the biggest breakthroughs come through just normalizing things. Yeah, and I think I think truthfully, just talking about it, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm definitely, I, you know, I, I work in documentaries, I work in reality TV, and my job is to talk to people and to help tell their stories. So, like, I, I'm very much so say that I'm kind of like you, but just in a very different kind of way, because <laughs> um, I, I always say that like we're we're helping people, what especially in my position, we're helping people process how they, their feelings and their emotions and telling a story in front of a lens, um, which you do in some ways too, but. You know, there's been times for me where I I see that I spark a hot topic amongst friends or groups of people that I know, and I don't mind having a discussion about it, and especially a healthy one at that. One that I really wanted to bring up and I wanted to talk about um, with you and kind of get where your head would be at. I, I had a bunch of people over to my house. This happened a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, I'm a gay man. Um, I've never had sex with a woman. I've never even interacted sexually with a woman at all. Um, but I had 
mentioned how much of a crush I had on a, a trans man. Okay. And ever it was like a record had scratched in this room <laughs> of gay men. And I wish like, I was there. I wish I was oh. there. <laughs> and and I said, what, what's what's the prop? What's the problem? Like, yeah. but I got so many like clocked looks of like people that just did not understand it. And immediately the first thing out of somebody's mouth was, well, he doesn't have a dick. He doesn't have a dick. He doesn't have a dick. And I'm like, it, that is not the only reason that I'm gay. What don't you not understand? I'm not gay because I'm, I'm looking for a dick. I'm gay because I like men. And I'm attracted to that trans man who is a man. Because you're able so, to see their maleness and a lot of people are Correct, 100%. But why <laughs> is it that for gay men or men in general, I don't, I don't know that it that, that they don't quite, they can't quite get past the, the fact that there's no dick. And, and I'm going to make the, and I'm going to make the question even more, comp, well, not complicated, but uh, larger by saying, and why can't hetero men see the femininity in a trans female? And the fact right. that maybe she does have a penis doesn't necessarily ground her back in maleness. You know, it's a thousand things. <clears throat> um, Oh man, I, I want to be very thoughtful about how I respond to this because sure, <laughs> this it's a, lot of, one, a right? lot of people. It's a very loaded topic. Trust I would me. say that there can be <laughs> within the gay community still a lot of sexism and misogyny and a lot of anti-female mm -hmm. rhetoric, um, which is shocking for some people to hear. But you'll hear guys within the gay community say things like, "Oh, pussies and vaginas are gross." Um, no, they're not. It might just not be what you're interested in. So that's very sexist and misogynistic to say they're gross and yucky and things sure. like that. Number two, I'd say to them, stop buying so much into your homosexuality and maybe push on the limits and actually try to explore that a little bit. Watch some hetero porn that involves some of them within sexuality. Like we're all a lot more fluid than we think. And it kind of goes yeah. back to this other side theme that I won't get off on, but I'll come back to this with, which is that people are like, I'm a bottom. No, you're not. You just have reinforced and gotten very familiar with that. And you're most comfortable within that, but you're far more than that. Maybe push on those edges a little bit and, and actually try to expand. But we don't expand. We tend to stay very uh, cloistered and localized and we just kind of reinforce. Even with people's sexual arousal interests, they tend to watch the same kind of porn with the same actions, the same behaviors, the same body shapes and sizes. And that isn't your true sexuality. That's just what you've created a habit and a pattern around. You're more than that. You're bigger than that. So to answer you, I think it's a lack of, it's, it's overly buying into the gay identity. It's policing the margins. There's a little sexism and misogyny. And it's people that have just kind of like shut down their sexual exploration, which should always be going. I mean, when we're in grade school, the hottest thing in the world is when you see like a dude in his underwear on the underwear package at Walmart right? But then later you see a little nudity and then that gets folded into your sexuality. And then later you see porn and you see interactive sex and that gets folded in. And then maybe you see some piss porn and that turns you on because you stumbled upon it and that gets folded in. It's an right. open-ended system, but we tend to like make it a little finite. So I would say those guys who say that you are overly buying into the, the you know, policing of the edges of their identity, some misogyny, and also just a lack of like creativity, <laughs> like, yeah. like challenge yeah. yourselves. Um, there's so many systems at play within that, but I would also say like, don't shame someone else's sexuality. So I would say something like those guys, I wish they'd said that in their inside voice because yeah. 
you know, that kind of sex negativity you internalize. I don't know how you walked away feeling after that conversation, but you definitely didn't feel, wow, this is a safe space and a safe group of friends with which I can share who I am sexually. No, I know I most certainly do not. But, but I also was confident enough in how I felt to be like, I don't give a fuck what you say. Like yeah. if Laith Ashley came up to me and was like, do you want to fuck? I would be like, yes yeah because you're 100 handsome man <laughs> yeah like i'm good let's go you, I, whatever you want to do we'll figure it out and i've had these <laughs> moments too like i remember talking to my mom um the first time i and and i guess for some people they're like oh you talked to your mom about that and i'm like yeah i why would i not but uh also because again in my books i talk a little bit about my own sexuality so my parents have read that and heard that and on the podcast i used to do with sure. amber talked about some radical stuff but I remember talking to my mom about the first time I had sex with a trans individual. And I want to be very thoughtful and not like fetishize and objectify trans individuals because, you know, but uh, that was an interesting thing I wanted to share with my mom. And I remember my mom kind of like having some very thoughtful, very loving questions about it. And I was kind of trying to explain to her what we're talking about now, which is that like, sexuality is far bigger than we realize. And that masculinity, femininity aren't and shouldn't be tied to someone's presentation or their genitalia, um, that we all have more fluidity than we realize, but we tend to not really push on our edges or explore. And also just because of the work I do, um, I, I really find it important that I'm doing the work, meaning I'm always looking at why are my limits the limits that I have? What is creating and driving those limits? Why am I not doing certain things? Why am I repeatedly going back to the same things? Uh, is there body shame in there? Is there sex phobia in there? Is there a femme phobia? You know, because all those forces are, are in there. So to your friends, if they're listening, who said that to you, I'd want them to reflect and say, why did that scare me when Woody said that? Why can I not imagine that arousal, right? Like in what ways other than that might I be holding myself back? Am I only willing to do certain things? When I work with couples and they say things like, I don't do oral or I don't do that, I say, why? Just like I say, when they want monogamy, why? When they want an open relationship, why? Like interrogate yeah. everything a little bit more, be a little bit more thoughtful. I see that online. I'm a top only, why? That's not a real thing. I'm a bottom right. only, why? That's not a real thing. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, yeah, I and I, I, I'm, all, I'm all for like opening the door and, and uh, certainly having a conversation and, and trying things out. I, don't, I, I, don't, I honestly don't think that I would ever say no to something if that makes sense. I think that there are things that I know, I just know I'm not turned on by. I, I am not turned on by women. I, and, and that doesn't mean that I haven't watched straight porn. I most certainly have. So then but there is a component I, of your sexuality that can hold space for the presence of a woman. 100%. Which I, I would say steps outside of what we traditionally call homosexuality. I agree because there are and have been times where I've been presented, if I'm talking openly, about having a threesome with the guy who wanted to have sex with me while his girlfriend or wife watch. And those are still situations that are presented to me and I'm not closed off to that. Yeah, um, yeah I just, I think that the more that we talk about it and the more that I try things, and, and like you said a little bit earlier, I think that closing the door on something uh, is not fruitful to a healthy sexual existence. Yeah, I, in my opinion. For most people, like, you know, so I was in a relationship for many years, which ended. And so sadly, 
uh, not sadly I'm single, but sadly I had to drop back into dating culture, <laughs> which is so yeah. toxic. And yeah. I had to stumble upon profiles that say things like mask only, sorry guys, just a preference, mm-hmm. you know, like things like that. And I'm thinking again, a lot of these people that only want someone who's six foot, six foot and taller only, it's like, wow. So, you know, just like sexual racism and uh, body shaming and sexuality, where they'll say fit guys only. Um, I don't believe that there's no larger bodied individual whose face you won't at least find attractive um, that you could then use it as an entry point to try to push on the edges of all the porn you watch of gym bodies only that has reinforced yeah. this misunderstanding that all that you could ever be turned on by. And, and what I'm, is sexy? Explore. Right, right. Explore. Right. Like, but push on that shit. Like, I'm blown away by what I'm seeing on these dating app profiles. Limit after limit after limit. And that doesn't tell me this person's very self-aware because of all the things. It tells me the opposite. Yeah. They really you know, are. I want to, we've talked a bunch about the, the sexual aspect, and I'm sure that I will have more questions with the time that I have with you. But I really do want to talk about the psychology a little bit around sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm because I think it's just as important as the act of it. Um, You know, for me and something I have said on this podcast before I had Gigi McGuire on the show who hosts a a sex podcast with Angela Yee called Lip Service. We talked about, um, for me, how I look at it as sex and sexuality are two different things that tend to come together at times. I believe that you, you can have an act of sex but it doesn't make you different than your sexuality for example so it makes sense i could wake up tomorrow and decide hey you know what i'm gonna have a threesome of a guy and a girl and i might have sex with her but i still consider myself to be a homosexual right does that make sense it does because i used to say this on the podcast all the time because the bulk of the people that were calling in when I did it with Amber were heterosexual people. And they would say, is it gay if I, or is it gay if my partner? And I'd say anything a heterosexual person does is heterosexual sex because it's a heterosexual person doing it. Just like there's no such thing as male behavior and female behavior. Anything a female does is therefore female behavior because it's a female doing it. So females do it. And we really want to police the boundaries. It's so scary to us to imagine that people can do a behavior that isn't necessarily a part of how they identify or who they are, but we've all done it. Have we not all had sex with people that we might not have been that interested in or attracted to? Sure, we are able to do things that aren't necessarily aligned with how we see ourselves or who we are in the world. And sex is very much like that. And I think that changing of how we know ourselves and how others know us is what keeps us from exploring because we don't want to kind of like be seen as other than what we're most confident being seen as. But to your point, yes. Our behavior does not always speak to exactly what our sexuality is. Um, And I'm thankful for that because I want people to explore. And I've done a lot of things and I was like, huh, that wasn't so bad, but I don't know that that felt like I want to do that again. And I'm glad to be able to walk away from it and not now have that be a part of my sexuality I have to carry with me forever. Right. Yeah. I, I related to the fact that, you know, because in the, you know, as gay men, we talk a lot about this and romanticize, um, this idea of, you know, us hooking up with straight guys and turning them. I've heard this terminology all right. the time and it drives me yeah. nuts, you know, and we, and, and, and we talk about a lot of, on a lot of the shows that I produce, you know, and I don't, I don't quite 
understand why there is, and we can talk about this too, the, this double standard, it seems, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but where it feels much more fluid and open for a woman to hook up with another woman than a man to hook up with another man. And I'd say that's because of how- Societal, right? That's societal, yeah. yeah. Because there, there was early research. <clears throat> um, I don't wanna reference anyone's work because I'm about to now challenge it. But there was a really big book. It was like two books. And it talked a lot about female sexual fluidity and this whole idea that females are far more sexually fluid than men, all that. And it's like, no, actually, it's just that we allow that. You know, I I think of like Anne Heche, God bless her, rest in peace. She was someone who dated a woman, Ellen, and then went back to dating men. And we were like, yeah, that's cool. But once a guy's with a dude, we don't let them go back to heterosexuality. We, we, toxic masculinity is so stigmatizing, so stigmatizing that we just can't allow for that. I see straight dudes in the theater that won't even sit next to each other to watch a movie and they leave one seat between them. Like that's what we're up against. So it's not shocking that we allow females to explore and have a fluidity that men can't. And that's where we have transphobia. And and I think there's some also homophobia in the idea of gay men who wanna date straight guys. I think it's right. their own trauma. I think it's their own homophobia. I think it's their desire to have some form of normality to pair up their self-esteem with this privileged person who's male and hetero. I'm mean, like, there's so much psychodynamic stuff at work in such a thing, but um, I think we all are more sexually fluid than we let ourselves acknowledge because it's scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I 100% agree with that. I, I and I find it more and more, the more conversations I have, the more we're, I'm always so shocked. And maybe I shouldn't be, but I am always so shocked with these, these ideas of like, there's something wrong with somebody because they want to do something that is outside the box to somebody else. Like these preconceived notions of like, when in fact, they're actually the healthier person than those that aren't, right? Because one of, one of the definitions I use all the time for mental health is authenticity, living in the world in the way that is right for who you are, where I think it's a lack of mental health and a disorder to follow the rules and fall in line with what you've been told you need to do because you're a man, because you're hetero or gay. Um, that's not mental health. But what's interesting to me is when you look at the research and I'm preparing for in the fall, I'm going back on the road to lecture, also putting together this amazing sex therapy, sexological professional conference that I hope people come out to check out and submit papers to present at. And I was looking at the percentages of people that in the younger generations, the millennials and below that identify as cis or hetero. It is now up to 20% plus of millennials and younger individuals do not identify as cis or hetero. That jumped from about eight and ten to ten, eight and ten percent to twenty plus. That's not because more people are born trans, gender fluid, gay, or bisexual. It's because they now are confident being that. They're confident exploring and finding that out. Um, there's more representation, so they're aware of the wealth of options, and so we're seeing more authenticity. And the conversation is being had, right? A hundred percent. It's right. it's acceptable. You can be aware. You can explore and stumble upon it because some people stumble upon it. Um, even like kinks. Well, I never knew I was into this until someone who I was having sex with introduced it, and I realized I was into it. And I'll bet you, well, not bet you, I know this. That number is going to double and triple. In, 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 in the next to 10 years, I think. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Because I mean, I'm, we've seen a huge difference just in 10 years, probably. We are shredding normativity 
fast. There are, there's less monogamy, there's less marriage, there's less, like I just point out, cis heteroness. Um, people want creativity, they want diversity. And that's what's healthy. Like this is also a part of a uh, pre-COVID, I, I traveled the country and I would lecture. And one of the parts of my lecture that was most impactful and profound for people, especially people that came from really religious and conservative backgrounds is that it's actually the most natural thing. And what I mean by that is when you look at the plant and animal kingdom, we have seahorses, which where the fathers give birth to the kids, not females. Sure. We have fish that change their genders. We have tons of documentation around some animals that are preferably homo partnered. The animal plant kingdom, the quote unquote natural world is queer and sex positive as fuck. That's what's normal and natural. And I think humanity is finally starting to uh, let go and move towards that. You know, as I, as I was talking to you and I was thinking about this earlier this week and thinking about like really wanted to make sure I asked you really pointed questions because you're so well-spoken and I really wanted to make sure the hour I had with you made sense and like what I asked <laughs> was pointed. But I, I wanted to ask you, because you talk about these topics so often, do, do you think that it impacts positively or negatively your own personal relationships? I love this question because it's such a fucking honest question. Yeah, you know, before I even answer it fully, it's like, how could it not? Because even mm -hmm. if those that are listening, you know, you so beautifully were like, let's have a conversation. And I'm like mm -hmm. lecturing at times. Um, yeah, it does. It has to. And I think I fought that in the beginning being... I've been single for the past year. And I think in the beginning when people would ask me that on dating apps or on dates, I would defensively be like, no, 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 no. And it's like, no, that's not Which true. feels natural, which yeah. feels natural response, right. <laughs> that's right. right, that's right. No, of I'm course normal. Not, of course. <laughs> I would yeah. never do that. Yeah. I would never. Yeah. But like any profession, it is, it is built into who you are and it's going to leak out and show up. So it's kind of like, <laughs> this is me also being a little defensive and then I'll try to get more honest. Sure. My, my, my more evolved, more honest answer, but not fully honest is also then something like, well, the way it shows up is I'm probably, I, I'm more open, uh, more supportive of diversity. I catch things sooner, repair them faster, hopefully a better partner. And I honestly do believe that because I do my own work. I track myself whenever I had a fight with my ex, I would say to him like, what isn't feeling good or what's not working? And I'd say things like, how can I be a better partner? And I would journal about it and work on it. And so I think there's a beauty in that, but it definitely gets in my own way because I don't want to be in a relationship with someone who needs to be a patient of mine. I, I wanna be in a relationship with someone who's done the work and I can just come home to them and don't feel as though I have to do it with them or there's so much work to still be done. And so it really yeah. limits the dating pool and there's a required level of like, high functioning and maturity and some sexual health that is nece like necessary. Otherwise, I'm just like, oh my God, I do this all week long. I don't wanna have to yeah. normalize, you know, body shapes and sizes. Like I won't date people that are body shaming. I won't date people that say things like, I ate a lot last night, I have to do more cardio tomorrow. That's toxic, that's shit. Eat what you want, exercise for health. I don't wanna hear that shit. I won't date people that are like racist or sexist or homophobic. So. Sure. I want us all to do that, but it definitely gets in the way. But I think, or I hope, or I want to believe that it's more positives, that I'm more accepting of who they are, that I'm confident and comfortable exploring and hold space for them to kind of be more of who they are. But I don't know if you asked my ex, <laughs> I'm not sure what you get, but 
What I'm most proud of is that I leave relationships lovingly. I'm friends with all of my exes. When things are kind of ending, I talk about it. We acknowledge it. We take care of each other as we're working out of it. Uh, my ex moved here for another from another country. And I said, take your time moving out. Like, let me help you find a place. I helped him move. Um, there's like a, there's a, there's a compassion that I think my job brings into my relationships that I'm really mm -hmm. proud of. Yeah. I always say that about my job. Uh, because I, I basically, you know, when I'm on a TV show, I dedicate 10 weeks of my life to telling other people's stories and being, you know, full throttle on their life. And I say sometimes when I go in from meetings, you know, if somebody asks me, oh, what do you think your greatest weakness is? And I also say it's one of my greatest strengths is how empathetic I am. Yes. Uh, and I, and it's just because I feel and I understand. And because I am that to people, like when they are, when I see that, um, I, I can't help but just want to give people the benefit of the doubt or hope the best for them or expect the best from them. So oh, I totally, I totally get that in a lot of ways. I, I think that's that. one of the most missing components of our culture and also mental health is compassion um, for other people because yes. that is a thread that shows up in every marital issue that comes in and a lot of people's own levels of functioning in the world. You know, post-COVID culture, people are a little more aggressive. They're more burnt out. They're a little more tired. They're less kind. They're a little bit more bitter. <laughs> yeah. And I hope for the opposite. I thought, you know what? Yeah. COVID is going to make us more community-centric, more collective responsibility, more compassionate for the struggles. Nope. It's the opposite. So I'm finding yeah. myself with more and more clients saying things like, um, let it go. Try to understand what might be going on in their day as to why they're showing up the way they're showing up. Uh, yeah. So that empathy piece, whenever I hear people talk about that or compassion, I'm like, more of that. Yeah. Oh, I try and I I try to I try to give that because I feel I feel like that is a major thing that we so it, it's like a badge of honor for me when somebody says, I admire that about you. Oh. You know, because I feel like that that's something that a lot, a lot of people have. And I consider that to be a gift. I don't necessarily look at it like a bad thing. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, because something I've talked about on the show is my own sobriety journey. I'm, I'm just shy of 16 months of being sober. And when I uh, got sober after some really horrible ups and downs, my sponsor had said to me, who's also one of my really good friends, he had said, I really think that you should not date for a year and not have sex for a year. Now, Chris, for me to not have sex for a year uh, <laughs> is a tall, tall task. Uh, and Amazing. I looked at him probably like he had three heads when he said it, but I also understood <clears throat> the notion behind it, right? Like I understood the, 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 the mental battle I was already going through with trying to be the best version of myself and trying to overcome come even or live with um uh my alcoholism because i don't feel like it's something that we uh, that for me personally and i can't speak to other people's stories but something that doesn't go away it's something i choose every day is to be sober um so how have you seen and maybe you can speak to the correlation between addiction and sex and how do we how do you advise people to find a healthy space for sex while struggling with addiction. Yeah, and you're, just to like put this on the front end, your 
You're asking me a very big question and you're asking sure. me a very controversial question. Sure. So, uh, but I'll share my, so I work within psychology, not 12 steps. Sure. So okay. I don't think or use 12 step languaging. That is Got a different it. mode of thought. Okay. Um, and in fact, there's a lot of things that have actually been proven wrong within the 12 step mythology. Um, we don't okay. use a disease model anymore. Um, we could have a whole show on that, but sure, sure, sure. Um, for I think it was like eight years, I ran uh, healthy sex and relationship groups at a really well-respected uh, inpatient drug and alcohol treatment center. Also ran them in their outpatient program. And, you know, working with clients that have different problematic relationships, which is more the languaging I use, not addiction, problematic relationship. Sure. Um, it, you know, I would say it like this. Um, any issue we're struggling with probably has multiple causes and also serves multiple functions. And I don't buy into a one storyline only. Uh, human sexuality and human psychology is far too complex. Everyone's quote unquote addiction is gonna be driven by and coming from a different cause and a different place. Some people it's trauma-based, for other people it's a lack of uh, emotional regulation, for other people it's an attachment issue. For some people it's not even an addiction, it's just a habit um, and they could at some point return to you know, more regulated use of drugs and alcohol. But in reference to kind of your more pointed question, I, you know, this would come up when I was running the groups because they'd say, my sponsor said, you know, I need to wait a year. And I lovingly, because I have a great relationship with all of them, I'd say, some of you need to wait five. <laughs> some of you, I'm not sure you're ever ready, you know? And I'd say, and some of you could be doing it right now. It's really a case by case thing. I appreciate the uh, thought behind it, which is, you know, listen, you're fresh. You have just let go of a primary coping mechanism. You're probably not in the best place to enter into anything that has complexity, disappointment, and all of that. And so they're trying to kind of put you in a loving little healing cocoon and just focus on being a better human and learning right. social skills and all that. So like, I love that. But it's going to be a different amount of time necessary for everyone. Some clients, whether dealing with addiction or not, I think they need to take a break from dating and sex because they're harming themselves or other people. And to go back to your word, compassion, I think sex positivity to weave this in this conversation is about thinking about the impact we're having on others. You are not being sex positive if the sex you're having is hurting others or hurting yourself, um, leading people on, taking advantage of people, shaming them, putting them down, bullying them. None of that is sex positivity. Um, back to your point, though, I think it's really about what am I struggling with? What role does this play in my life? Um, when do I feel like I'm ready? Because sex and dating is complex. We are let down. We, our feelings are hurt. But it's really hard to give like a grand sweeping statement um, because it really depends case by case. Of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate, I, I appreciate you even trying to my very complex <laughs> question. You know, I one of the one of the greatest things that you that you have done um, uh, was the be the host of Loveline, which obviously there's a lot of history yes. um, with that brand and where it started. I wanted to ask you, obviously that's a very relationship, sex uh, advice kind of programming. What, uh, as we as we head into the last couple of minutes with you, what are three solid pieces of advice you can give to someone when they're entering into a new relationship? Oh, okay, love this. I love this, I love this. Uh, number one, uh, know that when you enter into a primary relationship with someone that they are in your care. 
and that it is your job to consider the impact you're having on them because everyone's mental health is impacted and determined by the way they are treated by those around them. And dear God in heaven, if we can't count on our primary partner being the one person to always look out for us and care for us, then who can we count on? And yet we see people in primary relationships treating them poorly, talking to them poorly, uh, cheating on them, not having their back. That's not what that's about. We enter into primary relationship to have one person who always considers us, always has our back, and you should be going from I and me thinking to us and we. You are no longer an individual on your own, and you have to start thinking about us. And a lot of people struggle with that. Um, they don't want to take that responsibility on. I think a lot of people aren't healthy enough to enter into primary relationships because we don't really know how to do them. And that blows people's minds when I'll say in couples therapy, how do you think that impacts your partner? And they're like, well, I don't have to. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have to consider them now. So that's number one. They're in your care. Look out for them. Build them up. Have a positive impact in the very least negative. But if you are harming people, if you are leaving relationships where you can't be their friend and you have negative things to say about them, you're doing relationships wrong and you are not healthy enough to be in them. Everyone should, in theory, leave lovingly and be able to be friends or at least wave when you see them. Don't be burning down and burning through relationships. So that's number one. Um, I would say number two, within dating, stop dating to be liked, date to be known. The, the most successful first date is when you go completely as yourself and realize we're not a match. And we couldn't figure that out if I didn't go as myself, but people date thinking, what should I wear so they'll like me? What should I talk about so they'll like me? Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Be yourself from the door and figure out if there's actual compatibility because that fouls people up. Good tip. That's yeah. a good tip. They're all about, do they like me? And it's, do you like them? And did you go as yourself so they could assess that as well? And if not, that's very successful. And that saves you from you know, surprising them weeks or months down the road by saying things like, I know we go to sushi every Friday night. I've only been doing it because you really like it. I hate sushi. Don't be that person. From date one, be like, I don't really like sushi. Can we get pizza? You know, go on dates that are authentic for who you are. Me, Dr. Chris, I don't like to get all dressed up. So my dates are super casual. I want you to know what it's like to actually be in my life. So yes, mm -hmm. within the context of who I really am, I'll lead with the better parts, but it's in the context of who I am. I'm vegan. I'm not going to take you to a steakhouse. I don't eat at places like that. I want to go for a nighttime walk on the beach. I want to go to a horror convention. I love horror movies. I'm going to plan a date like that. And if you can fit into it, awesome. And if you can't, we're not a match. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's mm -hmm. that second piece. Date to be known, not to be liked. Stop just trying to get people. Um, yeah. What would my third piece be? I guess it kind of almost goes back to the first one. <clears throat> know that when you're hooking up and having sex with someone, you're holding in your hands their very fragile self-esteem, how they feel about their body, how they feel about sex, how safe and how much they can trust other people. Know that sex is never neutral. Even if I'm like banging someone out in a back alley in the dark and we can't see each other's face, they're leaving that interaction different because of me. Take that seriously too. Even on Grinder, I'm grossed yeah. out when people say things like, it's not that deep, it's only an app, don't take it seriously. Oh no, take it seriously. Someone, a human being is on the other end of this conversation and they are impacted and their mental health is by this conversation. Take it seriously, be kind, <laughs> be compassionate. Yeah. So that would kind of be the yeah. third one. 
Well, I love that. And I selfishly asked you that because I just started dating somebody and I, well, I mean, we've, we've been hanging out. I shouldn't say that we've been dating. I mean, I guess we're, your authentic yeah, self so as to really see if we are compatible. Yes. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. And I think I, you know, I really appreciate you talking to me so candidly and openly. I, I think that I would definitely love to have you on again. I think Please. that you are uh, just one of the smartest people. I've, I've watched uh-huh. you on TV shows. I remember you from Bad Sex on Logo. And I oh, like, you know, yeah. you and I became friends. We have many mutual friends. Um, I just think you are the bee's knees. Keep doing what you're doing. Please yeah. tell people that are listening um, about your books, where they can find you on social um, yeah. and what you're up to right now. Yeah. So uh, my first book is Sex Outside the Lines. My second book is Rebel Love. Both can be found online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Instagram is at Dr. Donahue. I don't really use the other media outlets that much. And uh, Sex Ed, Gay Sex Ed. It's on the World of Wonder app streaming right now. We did two seasons of that, me, Vanjie, and Cameron. Really super rad show. Um, and then this fall, I'll be hitting the road again, lecturing. So I'll be coming to a, hopefully a few cities. Well, I wish you the best of luck, continued success, of course. Um, before you go, can you give me a, this is Dr. Chris Donahue and you're listening to What's Up, Woody? This is Dr. Chris Donahue and you're listening to What's Up, Woody? I appreciate you. Thank you Thanks, so man. much. Have, you a, have a wonderful day. day. All right, Take bye. care. I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of What's Up, Woody. You can listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Like, rate, and subscribe now. Or by visiting whatsupwoody.com. Follow us on social media. Instagram is at Woody Woodbeck and what's underscore up Woody. And on Twitter, it's at what's up Woody one Have an amazing day and be kind to one another.